Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. So we get to start a new year and a new series. Um, actually, for the next, what, 19 months, I think, we're going to be in this series, give or take. <laughs> Look at A. <laughs> no, we're going through the, uh, the entirety of the scripture, though, over the next year, um, together as a church. And, and beginning again, it makes sense to begin with the book of Genesis. So today we are beginning again and looking at this first question today of what is God's purpose for our lives. If you take a peek at the screen, you can see where we're going over the next couple weeks. Uh, but we're starting with Genesis 1 today and asking this question, what is God's purpose for our lives? And what better place for us than to, to start the new year, to start at the beginning of the story, and to ask that question and seek God and say, what is it, God, that you have for us? So uh, let, me, let me fast forward real quick. See, Thank you guys so much. We have an amazing... Um, tech team in the back there who's working hard to keep me from looking like a complete bozo because I gave them all kinds of files this morning. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you, thank you. So have you ever started here? I love this picture. It's a great, great idea, a great picture of a, how many times we find ourselves in life at the corner of confused and unsure. I don't know about you. I have spent probably... Oh, thousand-plus, if not thousands, in career counseling, asking this question. I can remember for me, as, even as a kid, this, this question of purpose really became a dividing point in my faith because I, didn't, I wanted the, the writing on the wall. Here's, you know, this handwriting, the, the, the plane to fly over and the clouds in the sky to, you know, just tell me what it is that I'm supposed to do in life. The older I've gotten, the more I've realized... Though we may find ourselves here, there is a very clear purpose that God has given us. Um, that doesn't mean it's not frustrating when we're here. And sometimes we may come back to this junction in the road, and we may have to get on our knees again and revisit this primary focus of what it is that God has us here for. And that's what I want to do today, is just paint this picture again. What is it that God has given us purpose-wise? curse of the clicky thing that doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> Can we go to the next slide for me? I thought this was a, a couple good illustrations here. Thinking about life and purpose. As a teacher, I can relate to this one. Birth in between stuff, death. That's it. Sometimes, apart from God especially, yes, that is it. Um, next slide for me, please, Dwayne. Thank you, sir. I'll read that one to you. This is, this is a favorite of mine. How do I know that my experience of consciousness is the same as others' experience of consciousness? Why are we here? What is my purpose, says the potato? What is the meaning of life? These are complex carbohydrates. <laughs> what is the meaning of life? What is my purpose? Complex carbohydrates. The next one I think, of course, this is our generation. I want to know the meaning of life. And of course, the the man on the mountaintop says, 
Have you tried Googling it? So me, being a product of this generation, guess what I did? I Googled it. Yeah. You want to see what Google has to say? Look at some of these things. Here's a purpose of life according to Google. Uh, this was interesting. This is the top hit across the board. Let go of thinking there is only one purpose for you. And embrace the idea that our purpose in life is to love life fully by putting ourselves into our life. When we live a passion-filled life, we are living on purpose. And that is the purpose of life. So at face value, that's not horrible, right? I mean, it's not anti, horribly anti-scriptural, but here's my problem with this. When we live a passion-filled life, we are living on purpose. There are people that can take that the wrong way, okay? And, and that let go of thinking there's only one purpose for you, that our purpose in life is to love life fully. It's pretty selfish, isn't it? Our purpose in life is to love life fully. Eh. Okay, yes, does God want us to love life? Certainly. Um, next one, though, I thought this was interesting, too. Joseph Campbell, according to him, life has no meaning. Each of us has meaning, and we bring it to life. It is a waste to be asking the question when you are the answer. Right? <laughs> Wait a second, huh? What is the purpose of life? Yes, me. I am the purpose of life. It's a waste to ask the question when you are the answer. Well, great, thanks, that clears it up. Um, so this is a, another kind of not exactly the most useful information. According to the Dalai Lama, the next one, the very purpose of life is to be happy. And I think you see in, in all three of these, there is a continual theme that it is very self-centered, right? The purpose is about me, but... Does that surprise us when we live in a society that is very self-centered? As a matter of fact, doesn't the Bible say at the end days, people will be lovers of themselves? And I see this more and more and more um, in our culture. And I think it's one of the things I want to talk about today is the task we have to confront that culture. Uh, one more that is, is striking to me. Kurt Vonnegut says this, In the beginning, God created the earth. And he looked upon it in his cosmic loneliness. Isn't that interesting? People's perception of God. God was lonely. Okay. And God said, let us make living creatures out of mud so the mud can see what we have done. And God created every living creature that now moveth. And one was man. Mud as man alone could speak. God leaned close to mud as man sat up, looked around and spoke. Man blinked. What is the purpose of all this? He asked politely. Everything must have a purpose? Asked God. Certainly, said man. Then I leave it to you to think of one for all this, said God, and he went away. A pretty disparaging view of purpose, isn't it? But the reality is I think we have, we have a world full of people that are asking this. What is our purpose? Why are we here? And I want us to not stay in this dismal place, but I want us to move on a little bit and look at <clears throat> some of the things that God gives to us. Thank you, Dwayne. The reality, Genesis 1 and 2, un unfold the beginning of man and the story of man. And it, it's this beautiful picture that God breathed life and invited man into relationship with him. 
And so today, again, looking at this idea of we are created for a reason. And I want us today, I want you to leave here today, hopefully with a, a rediscovered sense of God's purpose for your own life as we look at and dive into this together. Um, I think the next slide should play. Thank you, sir. I'm going to step aside for a moment. I want you to listen to this. Um, I, I feel like for the longest time my, my purpose was to convince people that I'm good enough, convince people that I'm really talented, convince people that they should like me, um, convince people that if they make fun of me I will punch them. <laughs> I think American culture teaches us to make it happen. I mean, if you're going to be successful, you just got to make it happen. So it's all about it. Your, the strength of your inertia moving forward or higher. I think that's exhausting. We all wonder about our place in life. You know, maybe it's because we're different or maybe it's because we feel like we're the exact same as everybody else. I think that our world is becoming more and more complex um, and, and our lives are becoming more and more accelerated. I think we're all trying to find, as human beings, meaning in all of our technological devices and gadgets, how we spend our time. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed at how much time we Americans spend just watching television and screens and um, this larger question of like, does this have any purpose? Like, what are we, what are we here for? There was a famous little book written really short called Here is New York by E.B. White and he said what makes New York New York is three kinds of people. Number one you get a, a person who's from New York, they are natives and they hardly even notice the city. You get locusts, they're people who basically live outside of the city but consume its resources and then the last person is the person who moves here with personal ambition because they need a world stage for their perceived greatness to be realised. Los Angeles, for the most part, is about the veneer of beauty, but New York is about the pursuit of power. People take, they reroute their longing for God and they just channel it towards something else. They invest with holy religious zeal. Uh, the same things that Christians or religious people do into religion, they invest that into their careers or their relationships or their parenting or whatever else that is. One of the most popular rock songs of all time is Mick Jagger's song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. <laughs> and um, gosh, I really relate to that. For a long time, I just had this gnawing sense that if I could just discover the right thing, if I could just maybe get a better job or have enough financial blessing or find the right person that loved me or um, maybe even have the right kids with the right accolades so I could put the bumper sticker on the back of my car. My kid's a straight A student, rah, and then I'd feel satisfied. The problem with answering is there a purpose for our lives is that the question itself is driven by what I call utilitarian pragmatism where we have to define everything and reduce it to a manageable 
piece before we can begin to play and explore. And as an artist, I don't do that. I start with a question and I leave it unanswered. Uh, so many times I don't have an answer for why I am doing a particular piece of work or why I'm involved in, in, in a particular way of approaching my community or uh, my marriage or lives of our children. But I'm comfortable with the mystery um, and, and the open-endedness of that question. So um, I, I often work backwards and um, I try to find that purpose at the end of the journey rather than at the beginning. My son and I were working on a Pinewood Derby car over the last couple of months. We worked super hard, we sanded and you know, cut the, the wood and painted it and polished the wheels and made the pinstripe and you know, you think about all the things that are wrapped up in that small little 20 hour project. Um, you know, like here's the goal, here's where we're headed, here are the tools we need to do this, the bonding and the relationship and the the apprenticeship from you know me to him to use the drill press and to use the different tools. Um, like this idea of like having something, it like it, it brought us together in a way that was was really cool. And when you think about like our larger purpose and you think about like how our lives are, are being lived, um, you know, is it possible that we're like God? Like, 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 like God's working with us to do some sort of project in the world, to, 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 to do something good, to, to enjoy each other together during that process. It feels like to understand even a small little project like a Pinewood Derby car, you, you, you get the idea that our lives were made for some sort of purpose. You know, I think, I think we each have a role to play in the world and that part of that role that we're supposed to be here kind of fixing things that are broken, that part of our purpose is to participate with God who wants to see things that are um, wrong made right, uh, that are injustice made just. Uh, and I think each of us have a pretty unique story to play out within that. Uh, and, it, and a lot of it comes down to understanding our own story. If we lay our life out, if we look at all the pieces of our lives, where we were born, the suffering that we've been through, the gifts that we have, the personality that we have, the, the places that, that God's led us now, the places that we work, the things we do with our free time. If, if you just lay all of that out, all of a sudden you start to look really unique. And I think that God wants us to see the pieces of our lives that, that He's given us that we have that are unique. And in that time and place with our gifting, with our personality, use us. No man knows his purpose until he knows the person who created him. I think people can't be fulfilled in what they're doing in life until they find the purpose that God has for them. I had a friend in my life who I not so affectionately called my Bible friend. She was all the time giving me Bible verses and honestly it just <laughs> it got on my nerves. I thought, how could one person have access to so many Bible verses? Like, if I had a headache, she had a verse for that. But one day, she gave me this verse, and it was Jeremiah 29, 11. It said, for I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope 
and a future. And gosh, I remember reading that verse and thinking, I've thought my whole life that I was a throwaway person, so this verse doesn't really apply to me. But I read it over and over and over, and something just deep down in my heart started stirring. And I read the verse again and just put my name in it, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, Lisa, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And for the first time in my life, I thought, maybe, maybe, even though I was a throwaway person to my real dad, maybe God looks at me a little bit differently. And maybe I should try this God thing. I didn't know the right words to say. I didn't know what to do. So I just lifted my hands up and I just said, yes, yes. And I guess not to make it over simple, but I've pretty much just been saying yes to God ever since. And I think ultimately that's my purpose. So when you look at the scripture and you ask the question of what is our purpose, um, it's hard to answer this question from just one little scripture either, and, and to look at just Genesis 1 and 2 today and say this is, this is everything that God says about our purpose. There's a few themes I think God begins in Genesis 1 and 2 that we're going to tap into today, but I, I looked at two other places as well. Revelation 4.11 very clearly addresses this. He says, Revelation 4, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things. And then what is the purpose of that? It's for your pleasure. They are and were created. You remember the Dalai Lama quote? What's the purpose of life? My pleasure. Happiness. This is what the Dalai Lama says. What does God say? For his pleasure. For God's pleasure. We are and were created. This is a question that the, the church itself has asked for thousands of years now. It's, it's a huge question. It's, it's, it's a philosophical, it's a metaphysical, it's a theological question of what am I here for, right? And here's, here's how the church has answered this, and I love, I love how concise and simple the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it. They said this, the, the question is, what is the chief end of man? And the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, man's chief end... What is our purpose? Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Because that is what we are here for. To enjoy God and to, to, to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. If you will, I want to walk with you through just three, um, if you walk with me rather, through three simple truths. Try to break it down as we look at the Genesis story and uh, answer this question of purpose. <clears throat> I look at it this way, that we each have three, even corporately here, all of us have these three common um, goals, if you will call them, or calling, I think is a better way to put it, that each of us have these three callings that God has placed within us, 
and that we are not ever going to find our purpose apart or outside of these three callings. So calling number one, Genesis 127 says this, uh, male and female, he created them, right? In the image of God, he created them. So what is our, our first calling? Given Genesis 1, it, it tells us we are called to bear the image of God. And I think that was maybe a little bit easier for Adam and Eve, because when they looked around, there wasn't anyone else to see where did we come from, okay? Okay, God, it's you. But ever since Adam and Eve and the fall, we have had a corrupted view, or a broken imago Dei, the image of God. So when I look at my parents, they're not perfect. When they look at their parents, they're not perfect. Everyone since Adam and Eve have, have had this issue of a broken image, right? We have all walked into this, and, and, and so we, when we're born, Romans 5 tells us we're born into a fallen world, and we reap the consequences of that. But I think the Genesis 1 picture is so significant because he tells us that we are called to bear the image of God. And can I, can I pause for a second? There's something I, I heard a few years ago that has always stuck with me. Too often, and maybe I've shared this before, humor me if so, but too often, we as a church, we start the story of God in Genesis 3. That, and you go out into the world and you tell people, you're a sinner. You're broken, you're fallen, you're in need of restoration. We start in Genesis 3, but that's, that negates what God said in Genesis 1 and 2. We are made for union with Him. We were made in His image. There's something whole, there's something beautiful, powerful about us that God put within us. Yes, it's broken, but that is not the beginning of the story. Brokenness is not the beginning of the story. Wholeness is the beginning of the story. And we, as followers of God, are called to bear the image of God. This is largely our default calling. But it never hurts for us to hear again that we are made in His image. When we understand this basic premise, it changes the way we see ourselves, and it should change the way we see others, too. Because this, this will throw you for a curve, too. Muslim, Hindu, idolaters, pagans, they, too, bear the image of God. Is it broken? Yeah. And we'll get to that next in a minute, but... But we are image bearers. We are created with inherent value because we are made by God in His image. To insult yourself or others is to defame the very God we proclaim to worship. Since we are children of God, shouldn't we seek to live in a way that brings Him honor? If we bear His image. I mean, let me give you a little story. So I, I get a note home a couple weeks ago. My son, the, the middle one, who is learning to be devious, um, has developed some interesting habits, and it scares me as a father to, to watch like, my own childhood being relived through him. Like, I did not teach him to do that, but he's doing that. And it's, it's scary, the stories I've heard of me as a child, and now I look at him, and it's just there, these things. So anyway... Um, he, uh, he is sent home with a note the other day. He was sent to the principal's office at preschool for hitting a classmate of his. And of course, this is a little bit awkward when 
my job at the school is to do that for other students. So I am usually the one who makes that phone call home to parents and says, your student is the one in trouble. Now it's my son who's in the office. Um, and so it reflects poorly on me, right? I have a reputation there at the school. I'm trying to balance that with him and his actions, and it's a bit embarrassing. So when I talk to him about this, I don't want him to hear that I am ashamed of him, but what I want to teach him, what I want him to hear from me is that, son, you're a, you're a Tegland, and that's not who we are. Okay, that's not the image that you bear. Because as he walks around that school and other places, he bears my image to the school and to others. I would say in the same way, none of us are perfect children. We all make mistakes. We have broken and we are, we are in the other side of the fall where, where the image, I think, is, is constantly a, a battle we have to wrestle with to bear the image of God. But let us remember, and Miss Mary, I think you said it this morning, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King, Right? We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. And we have been created for a reason, and we have a purpose. We are called to bear His image. <clears throat> Let me read you the words of Psalm 139 quickly again. It echoes this sentiment that, that God gives in Genesis 1. In His image, He is created. Psalm 139, He says, For you, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together. In my mother's womb, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. <clears throat> Pardon me, I'm just realizing I am missing a page of my notes. So I'm going to pull it up. <clears throat> your works are wonderful I know that full well my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be how precious to me are your thoughts God how vast is the sum of them were I to count them they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So calling number one for all of us, um, we see reflected not only in Genesis 1, but also throughout Scripture is this, this fact that we are called to bear the image of God. Calling number two, we are called to restore. And you heard that mentioned in the video. We are called to restore the image of God. So please give me a little grace. Is my text for today ended at Genesis 2. And this is prior to the fall, so I'm taking a small leap forward into the rest of Scripture to point us, those of us who were born post-fall, to a calling that I believe all of humanity shares. The entire story of the Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 19 is a picture of God's rescue and redemption of His people. We're called not just to bear the image, but to actively seek out places where that image has been lost. And to place ourselves at risk, if need be, to restore the image of God 
and see others restored. If you're like me, it's easy to get into this mindset and you come home and you, you hear problems, you know. You, easy to come home at the end of the day and say, oh man, our, our government is broken, okay? Or, or our education system is broken. Or our healthcare system is broken, which it probably is. Or perhaps more personally, our, our marriages are broken and suffering. Or people are just selfish. Or that guy I work with is a real jerk. Or fill in the blank. Those are, those are the easy things that we get into. Crime is rising. As a matter of fact, somebody just robbed something from our house this week. Um, should it surprise us that these things happen in our world today? No. This, this is a fallen world. What is our calling in light of that is what I want to point us back to today. Look at Jesus' example when he confronts brokenness. Okay? What does he do when he comes across brokenness? He fixes it. Man, that guy at work, he's a real jerk. Okay, so what is your role as an image bearer in that relationship? To restore what is broken there and to address that and to help that person bring wholeness and shalom back into their life. Jesus, when he encountered problems, he fixed it. And he asked God, his Father, to show off and to make it apparent to everyone that this was not the way things were supposed to be. The Genesis 3 story is not the way the world was made. It's Genesis 1 and 2. We were created for perfection, for unity with God. Sickness, family relationships, money management, religious life, relationships with others, government, even death itself, Jesus demonstrated that these things can be restored for God's glory. I like the example of, of the healing of the blind man in John chapter 9. John 9 says this, as he went along, Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3 says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, church, we are called to restore the image of God that is broken around us. Night is coming when no one can work. Verse 5, Jesus said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What I wrote down after reading that is, is this statement that just stands out to me. When the light is missing, the darkness will prevail. When the light is missing, the darkness will prevail. We are called to restore. What is our purpose? Restore. Now, if you're like me, it's, it's, it's hard to take that calling seriously. It's easy for me to, to be okay with calling one to bear the image of God, and I can, I can do that with my family, okay? But this piece, to restore, is, is where, for me, the rubber meets the road. Because it's really easy to walk away. It's easier to not confront the world, is it not? I mean, these, this is the challenge of, of Christianity. Does it make a difference? Does it matter? 
Because if we walk away from situations, then, then Christianity really doesn't matter, is the message we have sent. So my natural response to brokenness is often brokenness. I get angry when things are out of order. When peace is not there, when shalom is not there, I tend to respond from my humanity. But what would it look like if each of us in here began to look at our role as restorers of the image of God? And instead of responding in anger, we paused and responded with restoration in mind. The next time you, you have a situation where you just get angry, upset with the world, to pause and say, God, okay, why am I here? And how can I step into this? God, I don't understand this situation, but how can I be a part of the solution in even just a small way? The primary context that God gives us this, this calling to restore the image of God, the beautiful thing is that the primary context God gives us for that is the church itself. So we are called to restore the image of God, but we're not called to do it alone. He has given us the church. God created male and female, and he said, let us make man in our image. Even at the very beginning, God is, is community. And he gives us community. And community is central to the heart of God. And it's necessary for us if we're to proclaim and restore the image of God. This is also why it is so essential that we learn to love each other well. Is how can we accomplish this mission if we ourselves are divided over trivial things? If we look around this church, we have teachers, engineers, Laborers, accountants, salesmen, law enforcement, so on and so forth. The, the list goes on. How great is it that God has given even this small group, though, such a large reach? So how can we come together on Sundays and say, hey, and rally around this call of, hey, we are here. I'm called to step into this world of accounting and to bring restoration. Because God is a God of order. And, and of all people, I should be the one who demonstrates that. Last piece, calling number three, and I'll leave it with this. We are called to make the most of today. I would like to read you an excerpt from an article, a gentleman by the name of Andy Crouch. I thought it was powerful and fascinating the way he, he summarizes all of this, um, these three areas of calling. He says this, your third calling is your contingent calling to make the most of today while it is called today. Contingent is a word philosophers use to describe something that could be otherwise. In that sense, it's not the, it, it is the opposite of necessary. It's also used in a related sense to describe something that depends on something else. In that sense, it's the opposite of independent. You are in some particular place today, maybe at school, maybe on a bus, maybe in a workplace, maybe at home, and you're there with certain resources, memory, energy, reason, attention, skill. Perhaps a certain amount of money or property is available to you, or a certain set of credentials, a college degree or professional training, or a title or a position in an organization. All these things are contingent. That is to say, they could be otherwise, and they are deeply dependent on many other things. To ask how to fulfill our contingent calling is, frankly, to ask a question to which there is no clear biblical answer. 
Certainly to single out work as a topic is already to divide up the world in a way that Scripture rarely does. Our modern conception of individual agency and the affluence that the capacity to transform the world in ways that lead to economic profit, which undergirds all work in the commercial sector, is all but unknown in Scripture and much of Christian history. Most of all, the idea that Christians might occupy a culturally central and privileged position is all but unknown in Scripture and maybe all but unknown to our grandchildren. You can find fleeting reference points in the Bible for all these realities, but in doing so, you'll be skating perilously close to proof texting. Indeed, there is one topic that I'm extremely interested in that the writers of Scripture do not seem interested in at all, and that topic is actually me. I am quite interested in the expressive individual that I call me, but Scripture turns out not to be interested in me hardly at all. It is somewhat more interested in me as a member of community, connected to one of the nations of the earth. But really, what Scripture is interested in is God. God's mission in the world. God's commissioning of a people. And God's gracious invitation to me to stop being so interested in me and start being absolutely fascinated by his mission. There's another good reason to limit our interest in our contingent calling. All these contingent things may pass. They could be over tomorrow. For all their illusion of durability, they are only ours today. Today, I suppose I am known most widely, and he talks about his role as a speaker, a writer, an editor, but my ability to do all of those could end tonight in an accident or sudden illness. Whatever industry you work in or firm you work for, its viability could drastically change over the next 18 months. Indeed, according to a National Research Council report, there is a one in eight chance of a mass coronal ejection from the sun between now and 2022. It's basically the end of the world. Relatively harmless at the time, a direct hit from such an event today could melt the core of every electrical transformer and every substation in the industrialized world, not to mention frying every single one of our glorious eye devices a lot of contingent callings will come to an end on such a day. Should any or all of this happen, God will still be God, and his people will still have a mission in the world. You may fall ill tomorrow, you may never rise again, yet to the end of your days, however incapacitated, you still will be an image bearer, and you will still be part of the story of image restoration. I think it's striking the way he writes this, because most of us, we spend our time with number three, but God, what am I supposed to be? Where am I called? And I think the reality is that God says, it really doesn't matter. You're called to bear his image. You're called to restore his image. And if you do that playing the flute in the band, or if you do that changing light bulbs, or if you, as, as Martin Luther King said, you know, if you do that sweeping floors, then that is what God has called you to be. Last thoughts on this, and I'll start wrap up. The late modern capitalist system may collapse, as it came within hours or days of doing in 2008. If it does, we will still be called to tend God's world and restore his image. The assumptions we have about the options open to Christians in our society, assumptions about cultural power and access that draft largely off the unexamined residue of Christendom, may be radically challenged in the next few generations.
we will still be called to care for creation, to care for people, and to restore God's image in the world. If any or all of these things happen, and if they happen, by the way, that will simply put us on equal footing with most Christians in the world today. Not to mention most Christians who have ever lived. Our fundamental calling will still be the same. In fact, especially if any of these things come to pass, we will then be called especially to rise to the opportunity to bear God's image and restore God's image in the world. If you would allow me five more minutes to close, um, just with a personal story. We are called to make the most of today. I think of a story of my own mom and, and how she embraced these three things. And so some of you may know, may not know my own story. My mom passed away a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago, with a, a very brief battle with pancreatic cancer. Okay. But my mom, who raised us as a homemaker, shifted into the role of kind of um, provider when my dad went back to school and my dad started doing a different career path. So my mom went to work at Starbucks. And when she went to Starbucks, she was there to bear the image of God. And, and if you were to see this woman, and, and yes, she's my mother, so I can say these things, but she, she really was next to an angel. I can put it that way. She was so kind-hearted. She's, you know, a 60-year-old, 60-something-year-old woman working with 18, 19-year-old kids. Oftentimes who come in drunk, hungover, partying the night before. But my mom knew she was there to bear the image of God. She actively participated in restoring the image of God with these kids. Especially the girls that were there. My mom would, became known as the woman who, um, who would bake a cake or cookies or anytime anybody who she ever worked with had a birthday, she found out their birthday and, and she would make it a point to show them their value and celebrate them. So she kind of became the grandma of Starbucks. Okay? I don't know that she loved the fact that she had to work to provide for insurance and provide for, for my family there, but I know the job itself too was tolling and exhausting standing on her feet for long hours, but she always made the most of each day. How do I know this? I lived out of state most of the time. She, she worked there. I'll tell you this. At her funeral service, um, obviously, she was not at work. They had to call over 100 stores in Colorado to find enough employees to come just so they could open up the Starbucks. The district manager, the, the manager of the state of Colorado had to get involved and start calling people because they couldn't find anybody to come work. And, and what I got to watch as, as we celebrated and honored my mom's memory and her legacy, I saw kids walk into a church okay, and, and hear the gospel presented to them very clearly. Kids who had seen it because she bore the image of God. Kids who had experienced it because she stepped into their lives and cared and stepped into their brokenness. She was counselor. She was restorer. She was friend. She was grandma. Um, and she made the most of each day. 
And that funeral service was packed with kids who will probably never step into a church. But because she stepped into this, they came. And they heard the gospel presented so clearly to them. And that is a great legacy that I myself cherish and hold on to. And I know that it works. When we bear the image of God, when we step in and restore, this is what we are called to. In closing, what can we take away from the record of Scripture, Genesis 1 and 2? What are the characteristics of an abundant life? Number one, again, we are created for God's pleasure. Revelation 4. We are created for His pleasure. God was not just lonely and needed something to do. We were created to bring Him, to show the world who He is, and to bring Him pleasure. So the three questions, again, I'll leave you with today as we close. What is our purpose in light of that? We're called to bear His image. We're called to restore His image. And we're called to make the most of each and every day while it is still called today. And if we do those things, we can't not win at changing the world around us. If you're like me, I think today perhaps is more of a call to repentance than anything. Because number two is where I get hung up. I'm okay making the most of today. And I've, I've let go, too, of, God, what is it that you've called me to be? And I've learned that he will provide wherever I'm called to be. But that number two to me is where I think today we, we could focus in and just pray, even corporately, and say, God, help us to be the church. And surround us with people. How cool would it be if every Sunday morning we came in and we said, what did you do this week? How did you, what opportunities did God give you to step in and restore the image of God? So if you pray with me along those lines today, and then I know we've got to dismiss and let the kiddos out. <clears throat> Father, I just ask um, today, Father, I thank you, God, that you do look at us and you smile upon us. That you have created us for a reason, and that reason is to bring you pleasure, to bring you glory, to, to enjoy you. God, and to glorify you forever. So God, I just I thank you for that, that you have allowed us to experience this life. Lord, I pray for anyone who is struggling with purpose today, that we would be mindful of these things, that we are called to bear your image. More than anything, God, that we are called to step into situations to represent you to this world. Secondly, Father, that we are called to restore. But God, I know that to do so requires action on our part. And so, Lord, I, I pray for a, just a fresh sensitivity to your spirit. Lord, this year ahead, that you would speak to us. Help us to respond, and not as the flesh would respond, but God, as you would have us respond. To see dealings with angry people, to see dealings with brokenness, to, to see this world as it is in its fallen state, and to say, God, this is not what you have created or intended to be. How can I step into that? How can I restore? How can I offer encouragement? How can I point those who are lost to you? So God, help us to bear your image. Help us to restore your image. And Lord, let us be a people who make the most of 
each and every day. You have only given us today. All of these things can change in a moment's notice. So help us today to bring you honor and glory. We praise these things together, Father, as your church. And we ask that we would be an encouragement to each other as your church to be on mission, to be on call, to bring restoration. In your mighty son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for your patience. And uh, go with God this week and be on mission. Be restorers this week because this world is broken. But God has given us the fact we can overcome. So thank you. Bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.